0: Welcome back, everybody, to your May 17th episode of the Red Seat Podcast. Today, I am joined by Matt Corey for the second time in the rotation, uh, and I hope it's going to be a lot more uh, successful than uh, Buckholt's second turn in the rotation this year. So, um, Matt, how you doing, man?
1: I'm doing good. How are you, Jake?
0: I'm good. I'm sorry I just uh, compared you to Buckholtz there, but for everybody out there who um, isn't familiar with Matt's work, you can find his writings over at uh, BP Boston, over at Fangraphs, and also at Vice Sports if you so choose to go find him. And Matt, where can they find you on the Twitterverse?
1: Uh, at mattymatty 2000
0: That's right. I forget how good your uh, your your Twitter handle is. Oh,
1: thank you. Yeah,
0: until until every time that I ask you, but.
1: <laughs> right.
0: Um so things are good in Red Sox land right now. Things are very very good. There's not a whole lot to complain about. Um, you know. Now we can
1: find something. Come on, Jake.
0: Oh, we, we will. Inevitably so. We'll we'll find something to complain about, but I mean, really when you look at the landscape, the Red Sox are on pace to win about 102 games right now. They're technically on pace to score 972 runs right now, which uh, I looked it up today uh historically speaking since 1950 if they were to hold this pace they would be the fifth highest scoring team in 66 years uh if they were to actually do that they probably won't but you know it's uh it's pretty good but the one thing that we can't seem to do is as a, as a team here and I say we because I just can't that's, not be a homer we'll on this podcast all right. yeah um But, I mean, the Red Sox cannot seem to shake the Baltimore Orioles. Throughout this entire stretch of just ridiculously good fortune and great offensive outputs, um, taking six out of their last seven games, uh, the Orioles remain tied with the Red Sox, which is just kind of frustrating because this is a team that most people thought would be in the basement of this division. Um, But here they are hanging tight with the Red Sox who were on a historically – you know, great run pace. Um, so it's 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 a little bit frustrating. But what I want to talk about, and I want to key on uh, in the the first uh, bit of this show, is how real Baltimore is, and kind of just assess this threat level. So Matt, what do you have?
1: Uh, well, I mean, they're pretty real. I I think if you uh, you go up to them and and poke them, um, you know, if you poke them pretty hard, they'll probably be like, "Hey, ow! Stop it." um so yeah from that standpoint they're definitely real uh as far as being a good baseball team yeah i mean i i don't think honestly i don't think boston is gonna win 102 games either so um i i think that i think i may have um undersold the orioles a little bit um seems like everybody did yeah i don't think that was uncommon um i'm just trying to take my medicine here uh I think uh I think they're 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 a strong team, you know, uh, offensively. Um they're they're not uh not a bad defensive team. Their bullpen is excellent. Um and they've gotten by with with some some starters that I didn't I didn't see them getting by with. Uh so you know, if, if that continues, um, then uh, there's no real reason to think that they're going to fall off too badly. Uh, I mean, if the Orioles win—I'm sorry—if if the Red Sox win 102 games, they're going to win this division. The Orioles are not going to win that, um, but I don't think the Red Sox are either. So, I think there's a—you uh, know—there's a there's a fair shot that uh, you know that that these two teams are are at it for a while, uh, um, you know, heading down the stretch. So
0: let's key in on a few guys. Let's talk about the offenses first. I want to just run through this like a prize fight. We're going to go head to head. We're going to look at the offenses first. Okay. Um, with the Orioles here um, on the offensive side of the ball, there are a few guys who are just not really surprises. You know, we expected Manny Machado to be this good. I think most people did. He he's arguably the guy who people talk about taking third after. Uh, Trout and Harper, if they were to start a a hypothetical team, so no surprises there. Uh, Adam Jones has struggled a little bit as of late uh, to start the season, but has picked it up as of late. Chris Davis has been playing well, but the two guys I wanted to key in on here that – are just enjoying better seasons than I thought anybody really considered they could have are uh, Mark Trumbo and Joey Rickard uh, playing left field for the Orioles. So I wanted to talk about those two guys. Get your thoughts on whether or not what they've done in this early going is uh, sustainable.
1: Uh, well, you wouldn't figure Trumbo is is gonna you know hit three hundred seven, three sixty two, and slug almost six hundred you know the rest of the way, um, but. You know, like like they like to say, you know, he's got this banked. So even if he performs at his career numbers the rest of the way, his overall production is going to be a lot more valuable. Um, you know, he's a bad defensive player, uh, so he's taking back some value there. Um, I, you know, he, he totally crushed the, uh, the the Red Sox in uh, you know in in the first uh, couple series they played, um, but. There's nothing that you know stands out to me uh, when when you look at his numbers, um, you know, in in terms of wow he's doing this you know differently. He's got a much higher BABIP than usual. He's striking out same rate, walking the same rate. Um, You know, he's hitting for a lot more power. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I I wouldn't put money on him continuing to do this. Am I missing something? What what do you think?
0: Yeah, you know, I've been looking up and down at his numbers, and I think we all expected the power output to jump moving from, you know, being out with the Angels and playing in a larger park. Um, And then wasn't he with the Diamondbacks for a short period of time, about 88 games with the Diamondbacks? Um, And didn't he split some time with Seattle as well?
1: Uh, Yeah, I think he did. Um, Let me see. Yeah, he was with the Mariners last year. As a matter of fact, right. So playing in
0: a lot of larger parks, obviously Diamondbacks is a good situation. But I think everybody expected his home run output would would go up a little bit. Um, things that I am surprised by so far in the early going twenty five point seven percent strikeout rate. Um, moving from you know playing out west and going against. Um, AL East pitchers, I just thought that his strikeout rate would rise a little bit more. That hasn't been the case. Um, walk rate stayed pretty much the same, but his ISO uh, at 286 is just pretty ridiculous. And I think a lot of this is is BABIP-driven, like you mentioned. He's been a career uh, guy that's been a little under 300 in terms of BABIP currently sitting at 356 so i don't think that a 25.7 percent strikeout rate makes a 307 average for the entire year i do expect him to come down to earth but i also expect him to you know really push for 30 to 35 home runs this year and be a useful bat uh the entire season
1: he is pulling the ball a little bit more than he did last couple seasons um so that you know that could be uh part of the um you know part of the power jump um and, uh, at least, uh, according to the numbers I'm looking at here, that the number of hard hit balls is, is up significantly. So he's actually, you know, making better contact. Um, still, it, it seems like I, according to this one in four fly balls is going over the fence and that's not going to continue. It doesn't matter how well he hits the ball. Right. Um, so, uh, I, I would say even if he continues to play as well as he's playing now, the results are not going to be as positive. Um but he's still you know he's still probably you know a, a better player than um and certainly I gave um him credit for at the beginning of the year. I mean, you know, the the Mar- when when the Mariners picked him up last year, it was like, "Oh great, the Mariners apparently are collecting a whole bunch of really slow designated hitters that they just want to sprinkle around the field for funsies. I don't know why. Um and then, you know, when the Orioles got him, it it sort of seemed like, "All right, well, I'm not totally sure uh what's going on here, but um you know, it's it seems to seems to have worked out pretty well.
0: Yeah, it was interesting. The the Orioles in the off season really pivoted um, from what everybody else in the division was doing. It seemed that people were going for pitching and defense and uh, really going after that side of things. And the Orioles were just like, you know what, we're we're fine with our pitching. We're going to get every bat in the universe and just stick them all <laughs> on one team and see what happens. And who cares about how much swing and misses in this lineup? I, I think. As the summer wears on, and especially as the power pitchers that are struggling right now start to loosen up a little bit more and perform like they're supposed to, which we typically see every year, uh, come June, July, August, dog days of summer, or when those guys really start getting going, I think you're going to see a little bit more of that swing and miss show up in this lineup. There's no doubt that this this lineup has no shortage of power. Um, all the way from Machado and Trumbo that we've already talked about, Adam Jones, Chris Davis, um, even guys like Jonathan Scope um, and peripheral guys like Nolan Reimold even seem to hit the ball pretty hard. So I think offensively they're going to be able to sustain close to what they're doing, maybe not quite this good, but that's where I think that they're, they're being on par with the Red Sox really stops because when I look at their starting rotation here, I have a lot of trouble thinking that this is going to be able to uh, hold up with what the Red Sox are going to put out there later in the year. And it's not to say, you know, the Sox have this unbelievable rotation, but what, what the Orioles are throwing out there just frankly, doesn't look that enticing to me.
1: No, it doesn't. Um, I mean, as you pointed out to me off air though, it's, it's working, you know, um, they're they're getting enough innings out of their uh, out of their starters that you know they're able to you know this is almost like the you know the Clay Buckholtz plan you know five innings and five runs and then you then you run the really good bullpen out there and your offense scores enough runs to to overcome that so I mean you can you can sort of get by with um, you know weakness in in one area as long as you're strong and strong enough in in, in other areas. Um, and, you know, it seems like that's, you know, that's, that's what the uh, Orioles are, Orioles are doing. Um, yeah, I, I, if you look, you look at their, you know, their peripheral numbers, they're, they're, they're not that exciting um, there. And, and it, it doesn't seem like they are even, even really that good. Um, so maybe, maybe, you know, Red Sox fans can hope maybe there'll be a, a bit of a dip uh, coming from, from that, uh you know, that that portion of the team. Um, and, uh, you know, then then you also have to hope that, that the Red Sox have no dip also, or at least a smaller dip.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. And when we look a little bit closer at this rotation, there are a few guys that, you know, flat out just stink, and a few guys that we still have some question marks about. I mean, when you look at it, Ubaldo Jimenez – with a 4.87 ERA, 40 innings pitched, getting teed off at a 3.07 batting average against, he's not a good starting pitcher. He's winning games in spite of himself when he does win them. Mike Wright, not a very good pitcher either. Not a lot to expect out of that guy. Um, but one guy who's pitching really just out of his mind for them right now is Chris Tillman at five and one, who's got a 2.58 ERA. And at first, I looked at what he's done over 45 innings so far this year. And I was like, oh, I don't know how much different this is than other hot streaks that we've seen from him in the past. But when I looked at his Brooks baseball page, I started to notice some interesting things. Um, his four-seam usage over the, the course of his career had been right around 60%. Last year it dropped down to 52%. This year um, he's only throwing that pitch 38% of the time.
1: Yeah.
0: He's relying a lot more on the cutter um, and – more on the changeup this year. And it seems like the cutter is really what he's replaced a lot of that four seam usage with. And it's working to the tune of a 258 ERA, or a 298 ERA, I should say. He's also, you know, generating some whiffs with uh, pitches at a higher rate than he has in the past, using the four seam less. He's been generating double digit whiff percentages on that, better whiffs on the changeup. And that cutter is generating a whopping 21% whiff rate on the pitch. Um, So I'm wondering if you think that any of the strides that he's made so far are going to be things that can carry over for the rest of the season.
1: Well, I haven't got to watch him pitch. So um, with that caveat and the fact that my cat keeps trying to walk on my computer (laughs) – Uh, Yeah, no. When you look at his numbers, you know the the strikeouts, the 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 big jump in strikeouts is is very noticeable, Um, and that's you know it's hard to be a um, you know a top pitcher when you're striking out you know under six and a half guys per nine and and walking about half that. You know you can you can get by, but you're not going to be you know an all star. Um, And he's uh, you know added three Ks per nine. Um, to, to that number and kept the walks at about that same level. So that's, uh, that's, that's huge. Um, you know, that, that sends you from a back end of the rotation starter to, um, you know, towards the the front. And, you know, like you said, the the Orioles really need that. (laughs) When you look at the rest of that, that rotation, you know, Gossman's got a lot of, uh, um, a lot of talent, but after that things get pretty thin, pretty fast. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if Tillman can continue to to do this, uh, you know, then he's, uh, he, he's, he's a, he's a big key to this team winning. I mean, one thing you, when you look at his, his numbers, you know, his FIP is, is right there with his ERA. So that's, that's pretty promising. His, his ground ball rate is down, which isn't incredibly surprising if he's going for more strikeouts, like you were saying with the, with the cutter, um, but his home run and fly ball rate is is way down. Um so you might think he's he's probably due to give up some more some more home runs and and I haven't looked at who he's pitched against either so it's possible that he's faced some some lousy teams. Um but you know when when you're talking about eight starts, you know, if he gets 2 or 3 against the Twins, that's going to make a big difference in in what his numbers look like.
0: Yeah, it's tough to say that the the changes are going to be sustainable, but it's also tough to say that forty five innings of pretty good data um, that are backing that up bad. real change. Yeah, I mean that's that's significant, and sure. so I'm more leaning towards the side of uh, buying Chris Tillman as more of a frontline starter guy this year than um, than he was in the past. And Chris Tillman has shown an ability to adjust. He was a pretty good pitcher just a couple of years ago as well. I mean. I don't buy Ubaldo Jimenez. I don't buy Mike Wright for good reason. Tyler Wilson, we talked about off air. He's been performing really well for them too in terms of a number standpoint. But when you dig into him a little bit more, the stuff just isn't there to make it sustainable. And when I look at Kevin Gosman, although he is performing a little bit better this year, I think that he still has some adjustments to make um, if he wants to be considered a front line guy. I'd more consider him a three or a four starter at this point. Even with the stuff that he has, he has made strides in his control. But he still doesn't strike out quite enough guys right now. And I think he's still overly reliant on the four-seam fastball. So I would worry that what happened to him in years past could catch up with him again because I haven't seen any real change there. But that brings me to if we compare this unit to what the Red Sox have with Porcellos seemingly figuring things out um, and the peripherals backing up that real change much in the same way that Chris Tillman's peripherals have backed up his change, um, and then David Price. What we saw from him last time was extremely encouraging. You've got Stephen Wright in there, um, and then it gets a little bit dicey after that. But I have to think that the Red Sox have the slight advantage there, having the two guys who seem to have figured it out versus you know one guy who seems to have figured it out for the Orioles, and then another that might have figured it out in Kevin Gosman.
1: Well, another aspect to it is, you know, if one of these teams is going to add a starter, um, you know, especially somebody might who might be on on a bigger money deal or, um, you know, has who has the prospects to go out and, and get a good player, you know, at or before the deadline, it's it's going to be Boston. It's not going to be Baltimore. Um, so I, I think, uh, you know, at least as far as um, you know the way the two teams end up at the end of the year, it, it, it's likely that the Red Sox are, have have a, a more significant advantage, uh, maybe even than they do now.
0: Absolutely, they're, they're certainly the team more likely to buy. As we head out of out of this subject, I think they both have superlative bullpens, so those are big strengths. But as it stands right now, uh, the Orioles have a three fifty three team ERA versus a four twenty four team ERA for Boston. But one of my favorite stats uh, out there on the internet is Skills Interactive ERA or Sierra that Fangraphs puts out. Um, And when you look at Team Sierra, the Red Sox actually have a 385 Sierra where the O's sit at 399. So I think that a lot of those advanced metrics agree with what our feeling is that things are only going to get better for the Red Sox and things are going to probably get worse for the Orioles
1: yeah i i feel like i want to agree with you and and then i remember how i uh how i wrote uh, wrote off the orioles at the start of the year so i'm i'm sort of reticent to do that again but um you know it you, like i said before you can get by you know you can get by with junkie pitching if, if your bullpen's good enough i mean we saw that from the world champions last year um j- junkie starting pitching you know and, and if your offense is there to pick it up so um, I, I don't think that the Orioles have the defense that the Royals did, um, but they, uh, you know, it, it's not the overall plan isn't isn't too far, uh, you know, if you if you squint your eyes and you, you let things get a little fuzzy, um, it's not that far from what the Royals did last year. So, um, you know, stranger things have happened than than you know than the Orioles winning this division.
0: Yep, that's absolutely right. I mean, the 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 Kansas City Royals did it without an ace up until they got Cueto and really he didn't perform like an ace much at all for them aside from a few key starts so uh, I think you're absolutely right when you look at these bullpens Red Sox bullpen versus the Orioles bullpen they match up pretty closely I mean when you look at Britton versus Kimbrell and then O'Day versus you know whether you want to say Koji Uihara or Carson Smith and so on and so on the hyper talented Michael Gibbons and Dylan Bundy they have some real weapons there but I think overall, as a unit, I'd still probably give the slight edge to the Red Sox in that category. What do you say?
1: Well, the Red Sox definitely have bigger names. You know, I, I think it's easy—it's easy to look at the Red Sox, um, you know, bullpen and go, "Oh, they got Kimball, they got Uehara." Um, you know, Carson Smith was a big—a big name uh, available this offseason. Um, so, uh, you know, from, from that standpoint, I think it is—it it, it certainly. I, I'm I'm tempted. It's almost like the packaging, you know, like at at a grocery store. You're looking at two different two products that are you know roughly similar, and one of them is packaged in a much more attractive way. <laughs>
0: um,
1: it's it's a lot easier for me, you know, to to grab that one. Um, right. But but as as far as as the I think the depth um, in, in in Baltimore's pen, you know, I I think their their depth is probably stronger than than the Red Sox. I mean you know, the, the Sox have those three or four guys, you know, if Smith is healthy, um, you know, Yohara stays healthy all year, which is sort of, you know, you never know when that, <laughs> I guess you never know with any, with any reliever, but, um, you know, the, the Red Sox have kind of a top four. And then after that, there's sort of a group of interchangeable players who are kind of shuffled, you know, back and forth between Pawtucket. And it, it, for the most part, uh, have performed pretty well. I guess you could, you could throw Heath Hembry although he didn't pitch very well the last time out, but, um, in, into that sort of maybe, a, maybe a middle ground there between the, the Pawtucket to Boston shuttle guys. And then the, the top four, um, I mean, it's a really strong bullpen that, that Boston has assembled. I, you know, I, again, um, with, with health. Um, but, you know, I, I think as, as you get, you know, deeper into, um, into Baltimore's bullpen, I, I, I think it's, uh, it's maybe a little stronger.
0: Yeah, especially when you look at under-the-radar guys like Brad Brack, who are pitching, you know, ridiculously to the tune of a 135 ERA. They certainly have a lot of these no-name guys that seem to have done pretty well. But on the flip side of that coin, they have a few guys who do worry me. Um, Michael Gibbons and Dylan Bundy – Despite having ERAs in the low twos, both of them, um, their batting averages against are 281 and uh, 294, respectively. So it it looks to be like those, that those things are going to be a little bit hard to sustain with uh, giving up that much hard contact or or contact in general, I should say. Yeah, could be, could be. Yeah. It's it's going to be interesting either way. I, I think. Undoubtedly, it looks like that's going to be the team that sticks around. But I wanted to give you a a chance to uh, talk about some of the other teams in the Division too. I mean, at this point, the other teams look pretty flawed. The Yankees look like they have tons of holes. The Rays have tons of holes. Um, Toronto still has a a tremendous amount of talent, but they look to have some flaws as well. I wanted to know whether or not you thought that any of these teams were capable of of making a push that could get them back into contention in this division, because with how well the Red Sox and Orioles are playing, that gap is getting pretty big pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, it, it is. Um, I mean, again, I, I don't think either of these teams are really, what did you say, 102 wins? I mean, isn't that the pace they're on?
0: Yeah, they're right around that pace right now.
1: Yeah, so I, I would not expect either of these teams to, you know, as fun as this has been, um, you know, to, to watch the Red Sox score, you know, twelve on <laughs> twelve runs on a nightly basis. Um I, I I think that there is definitely room for, you know, one of these other teams to to make a run at the division title. Um there's there, neither the Orioles nor the um Red Sox have this thing locked away or, or anything even close. I mean the Blue Jays were at five hundred, you know, what what at the trade deadline last year before right. they Um, you know, when they got David Price and then all of a sudden just sort of, oh, and Tulewitzki can't leave that out. Um, and, and then just sort of started blowing the doors off everybody. Um, and you know, they, they've had their share of issues, um, you know, this year that they've had some, some sort of oddly, some hitting issues. Um, I think we, we looked at that team coming into the year and thought, well, that offense is good at least. And the pitching is probably, you know iffy uh now that they they don't have price anymore you know they signed hap and um you know so that's kind of a a downgrade um and baseball being baseball uh of course hap has outpitched um (laughs) price
0: not tonight he's
1: well no not tonight yeah you got uh but then price has gotten crushed a couple times as well so um but um yeah, I, I think uh, I think there's a very real shot that the Blue Jays can get back into this. Um you know they're 19 and 20, I think. Um I'm not sure if that includes tonight's game uh, or not, but uh at least before uh, at least whatever whatever MLB is showing me right now, <laughs> uh they're 19 and 20 and they're uh, 19 runs uh in, in the uh in the black. So, um I I think they're, they're a stronger team than they've probably showed so far this year. You know, their they're bullpen and their uh, has been pretty rough. And, um, you know, even, some of their best players like Encarnacion hasn't hit and, uh, Russell Martin has been just horrendous, uh, at the plate. And, um, even Bautista has, has, uh, has been, you know, a, a slow start. So, um, I, I think they're a better team than they've probably showed. So I, I would expect them to, to make a push at some point. And, um, you know, the, the Rays' rotation, I think got off to a bit of a, a Uh, a slow start also. Um, you know, when, when you looked at that team, you thought, Oh, well, they're not gonna be able to hit, but at least they'll be able to pitch and play defense. And, um, you know, the pitching has been, has been a little rough, you know, Chris Archer had a, had a tough go of it at first. So, um, I, I would expect that I would expect things will, will sort of even out more in terms of how we, you know, how we thought things would be. Um, certainly not exactly because like I said, it's baseball and, you know, we're always wrong, but, uh, at least at this point, you know, 40 games into the year or whatever, um, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's enough to, you know, to, to drastically alter what we, what we thought going into the year. Um, I think you just make some tweaks in, in what your thought process are, are, you know, I think the Red Sox are a stronger team than we thought, maybe, uh, same for the Orioles. Um, but, uh, you know, I think most people probably pick Toronto to win this division and, uh, I, I think that's probably still a, not uh, not an unwise pick. I mean, they're only five and a half games out. Yeah, you know it's it's
0: going to be interesting. Um, right now, Toronto ha- that game has gone final, so they are nineteen and twenty-one okay. um, with a plus eight run differential. Six games back of the Red Sox, um, tied with the the Rays for six game back. If I had to pick one of those teams left in the division to go on a run, it absolutely would be Toronto because, like you mentioned, they've been able to kind of hang in there. Um, without Edwin playing like Edwin, without Tulo playing anything close to what Tulo has been in the past, with Jose Bautista getting punched in the face by 23-year-old kids. Um, All sorts of things going wrong for that team. And when you look at their pitching, um, it's not impressive. They've got Stroman, and then they've got a bunch of other guys. But some of those guys... Uh, that they do have in that rotation, look to be capable of going on some runs. I mean, Estrada can go on runs. Hap has been pitching pretty well this year, like you mentioned. R.A. Dickey can go on a run here and there. So um, there are enough pieces. Uh, Aaron Sanchez, I should mention too, he's been one of the better surprises uh, of that rotation this year. I think that if there is a team that can claw back, it's certainly them. But uh, six-game hole here in the middle of May is – is no small thing so that it's certainly going to be interesting to watch i think they can certainly challenge for the wild card though um you know
1: what oh but if i can yeah yeah go ahead the the one team i think it's um probably safe to count out at this point is is the yankees uh and that that is a wonderful thing to say um even though the yankees are only a game behind toronto um yeah, it's it's really hard to look at this team, this team being the Yankees, and um, and say, yeah, these guys are, you know, gonna gonna go on a long, long sustainable you know sustained run that that's that's gonna put them at the top of the division at the end of the year. Um, it, it they have an you know that amazing, uh you know threesome in the bullpen, and uh, you know they've they've got some capable capable players and some capable starters, but just the overall package is just so underwhelming. Um,
0: I totally agree. I think it's it's a terrible Yankees team. Um, I was certainly one of the lower men on the Yankees coming into this year, and um, people don't believe me when I say it because I, I have a Red Sox podcast. But, um, you know, I honestly looked at this team and just saw very, very little upside. I saw a lot of guys that, I thought percentage-wise it was more likely that they had a very poor season than they had a very good season. Um, And we're seeing that from just a tremendous amount of guys. Uh, You know, Mark Deshera hasn't been what he was last year. Didi Gregorius is not an offensive player. Chase Headley's not an offensive player. McCann's been just okay. The pitching's been horrible. Um, The outfield hasn't been anything special. Um, I think most Yankees fans would probably – be smart to want their team to become sellers at the deadline, and the guys that they talk about being sold off of that team are those big three relievers because you know that's that's the cherry on top of your team if you're gonna be a bad team, which the Yankees look to be at least this year and next year with the weak free agent class uh, and some prospects that are not quite ready yet um you know you got to get rid of those guys those are luxury guys, and I just don't see them keeping them, especially with how hard they've been hit by the injury bug this year with Sabathia, Severino, Alex Rodriguez, Greg Bird. I mean, these are these are some pretty big names that have gone down for this team, and who knows how much longer Tanaka and his time bomb elbow have left on it. But right now we're left with a pretty, um, pretty spectacularly bad-looking Yankees team that really doesn't have a lot of flexibility uh, to do much of anything to improve themselves. So why not get some prospects for some of those elite guys?
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see which way they go. Um, you know, with that, I, I, it wouldn't shock me if they, you know, definitely if they move Chapman. Um, there's there's really no reason to hold on to him at all. Um, like you said, uh, you know, Miller might be the next guy to go. Beyond that, I I even then I wouldn't see them moving uh, Betances. I mean, they're gonna need a good bullpen. You know, presumably, uh, you know when they when they get better when they sign Bryce Harper and Manny Machado and uh, everybody else at the same time, (laughs) um, they're going to need a good reliever, uh, and probably more than one. Um, and I think they have Patances under contract for, you know, another four years or five years or something silly like that. So I, I would be surprised if they moved him, but, um, you know, Miller's got what, another year on his deal after this one. And, um, Chapman's deal is up at the end of this year. So, and I would, I would also imagine that they would try to, you know, to trade anything else that's not nailed down. Um, you know, if someone actually wants to take share off their hands, if someone actually wants to take Beltron off their hands, if someone wants to take, I mean, even Brett Brett Gardner has some has some value. You know, maybe they would maybe they would look to deal him. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I I think you're right in terms of uh, them certainly looking to keep at least one of those big three, and Batansis would be the one with the control that he has. That's for sure. Um, I just don't think they're going to get much for any of these guys. I mean, even. Even Beltran and Teixeira, if they start playing extremely well, there's just there's too much money involved on, on their side to get anything but a B-level prospect out of those guys. So it'll be it'll be interesting to see whether or not they do that. A lot of people have been floating the idea of Beltran back to the Royals, which would be kind of cool because that's where everything started for him and presumably right. where he could finish his career, and they could certainly use the bat in the outfield.
1: Yeah. Yeah, if, if, uh, I mean, I think the ideal situation for Beltron is to, you know, find a team that has a, a hole in the DH slot. Um, and I, you know, I, I'm not sure whether that's the Royals or not. I know they have Kendrick Morales. Um, I'm not sure if Morales is playing first mostly or DHing mostly. I haven't, I haven't looked up, uh, looked that up. But, um, yeah, if there's, if there's a, a spot at the D, you know, DH or, or platoon DH for the Royals, um, that could, that could be a nice, nice homecoming.
0: Yep, And a quick congratulations to Beltran because I'm sure he's listening to this podcast for his (laughs) 400th home run. So there you go, old man. Good job. Um, Back to Red Sox talk. Uh, I want to get to the Red Sox rotation here a little bit because I've been hearing some crazy things. And whenever I'm short for any ideas about what to talk about for the Red Sox podcasts, I turn on Boston Sports Radio where I try to sift through all the garbage and and distill some of the ideas out that the raving lunatics in the Boston area uh, are, are talking about with their teams. So one of the things that I've heard recently um, is what do they do with Stephen Wright once all these pitchers, Joe Kelly, Eduardo Rodriguez comes back healthy, Buckholz still under contract. I mean, what do you do with all these guys? And I've heard the idea of moving Stephen Wright to the pent. Um, just because he's a knuckleballer, he's got that flexibility. Uh, I think that's insane. Uh, I think that you've got three guys in the Red Sox rotation that deserve to be there no matter what, in David Price, uh, Rick Porcello, and Steven Wright. After that, I think things get a little bit dicey. Um, I think if Eduardo's healthy, he certainly factors into that. He becomes the fourth option there. But after that, I mean, I think we have to start talking about, first of all, if there's any merit to this Stephen Wright moving out of the rotation idea, how long are the Red Sox going to continue to run buckholts out there to get shelled every day? And outside of those guys, we've got four or five other options with Owens, Johnson, Elias, uh, you name it. Um, You know, how do these guys factor in? How do you see this, this rotation sorting itself out after price and Porcello?
1: Well, This probably won't endear me to a lot of people, but I'm kind of a Buckholz guy. I've always, I remember him when the Sox picked him in the draft and watching him come up and throw that no hitter. And um, I've always been, you know, tantalized by by his talent. Um, He's obviously, you know, a really up and down guy, and he's he's down now for sure. Um, But there's the only other guy in this rotation who has the ability to be one of the best pitchers in baseball. Is David Price, um, and you know the Red Sox are winning. There's no real reason to take Buckholtz out of the rotation right now, unless there's an injury we don't know about, um, unless uh, you know they they need the roster spot for some reason. But they just gave two starts to Sean O'Sullivan, so I you know I, I don't think uh, I don't think there's any dying need to make a change there. I mean, like you talked about Stephen Wright, Stephen Wright deserves to stay in the rotation. Um There's, there's no reason to move him. He's pitching well. Um He's not this good, but he's pitching well and he's being really effective. And there's you know, with this offense behind him, you know, he, he can, the Red Sox can win a lot of games with him on the mound. So um don't, don't fix what's not broken. There's, there's nothing, you know, they don't need him in the road. They don't need him in the bullpen. Um, He's effective in the rotation. And, you know, it looks like Price maybe is going to come around a little bit. Uh, He looked good his last time out. I mean, quite clearly, you know, he was having some, some troubles, um, you know, maybe command troubles, a little bit of velocity issues, but, you know, he, he's, you know, it doesn't take, it doesn't take much of an analyst to look at his, his numbers and go, wow, that guy's getting unlucky. Um,
0: <laughs> right. And so, tremendously so.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, r- ridiculously so. So, um, so I would, you know, I would expect Price and Wright to, to stay in there. You know, obviously, Purcello has not done anything to, uh, you know, to, to, to make anyone want to take him out. He's, he's having a, it looks like a really good year. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, sort of, sort of the, uh, it's it's interesting to look at, at Porcello um now and, and Bradley now and you know this this whole kind of team uh and sort of reevaluate Ben Charrington a little bit. <laughs> um not, certainly not all of his moves worked and, and they're you know, there's still a, a bunch of ridiculously overpaid um players uh, on uh, you know on Patucket's roster. Castillo. Uh, Cast- well Castillo's not even the worst of it. Uh <laughs> Which is, uh, I'm blanking on his name now. Uh, Pablo Sandoval. Um, oh, that guy. That yeah, that guy. That Kung Fu Panda guy. Yeah, I've heard of him. They spent, uh, you know, what was it, 160 million dollars between those two guys, and they're getting uh, literally nothing for it. Um, so, but you win some, you lose some, right? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't think anybody thought that um, you know that Shaw was gonna was gonna recreate bill miller in his prime i mean
0: uh oh man you're talking about a guy who switch hit two grand slams in the same game and won a batting title
1: oh i love bill miller don't no yeah (laughs) bill Bill miller is awesome Um, i love
0: bill miller too i i don't
1: uh i don't think anybody seriously thought that that price or that sorry uh that uh that shaw was was gonna be uh you know an all-star caliber third baseman um that's what he's you know I don't know if he is that going forward but but that's that's what he's done so far in the major leagues you know last year and then this year too so um but anyway i, I I'm sorry I've taken us off the rails um you asked about the rotation and um you know Joe Kelly I think uh, tonight struck out ten guys in AAA and didn't walk anybody or maybe had one walk um, and Mirage well <laughs> but yeah I mean <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the, the the thing is, the you know, the Red Sox have four guys that they can they can start right now. You know, in in, in Buckholz, Porcello, Wright, and Price. You know, Henry Owens is is clearly, uh, you know, where he is at now is is a very flawed place. Um, you know, his walk rate is ridiculous. He has very little command of his of his pitches, especially his fastball. His his changeup is legit, but it's just not going to work if he's walking everybody. Um, you know, Sean O'Sullivan is well, he's DFA'd now, but <laughs> he's. He is what what uh, you know what we thought he was, which is not a very good pitcher. Um, and the fact that the Red Sox won both games he pitched is pretty crazy. Um, yeah, you
0: could you could say that the Astros let him off the hook. Yeah,
1: they did actually. <laughs> the Red Sox tried to put themselves back on the hook, and uh, and it didn't work. Um, so i i think I think you stick it out with Buckholtz right now. You know, obviously, you know, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez either either hit through. Either him or the team doesn't feel like uh, you know that he's ready to move up to the majors right now. I've I've read reports where his velocity isn't quite back where it needs to be. He doesn't feel like he thinks he needs to feel, and that's fine. You know, he's a young guy. Keep throwing him out there in Triple A. You know, he's got options remaining. Um, You know, the same thing is true of of Joe Kelly. If Joe Kelly's going to strike out 11 guys in six innings uh, and and walk one or nobody repeatedly in AAA then okay maybe maybe then you bring him up put him in the rotation um but i don't think there's i don't think there's any dying need to bring up joe kelly um i mean well i guess there is now because they DFA'd the fifth guy <laughs> yeah know? i mean joe
0: kelly is now likely to start on saturday because he seems to be further along in his development than eduardo rodriguez like you mentioned right. so at least for this next week what we should be looking at is price porcello a right, um, Kelly Buckholz rotation, and I think that that's fine. I, I'm with you. Uh, I'm a proponent of keeping Buckholz in this rotation at least for the time being, right now. Well, I know you, how bad he. I mean, that's exactly right. I mean, you mentioned some of the flaws with these guys. Brian Johnson, he's not himself yet. He's still pitching much worse than he was before he got injured. Owens is not a finished product. Elias stinks.
1: Now he has to Go down to Double A, or or move him to the rotate, or out of the rotation. Yeah, he's terrible. Uh, right.
0: So there's there's not a lot of options, and I think long term when Eduardo gets back on track, he factors into this for me for sure. I think ultimately I'd like to see Price, Porcello, right, Eduardo, Buckholz. Um, but then the question comes into play, you know, is Buckholz a better pitcher than Kelly? Is Kelly a better pitcher than Buckholz? who ends up staying in that rotation and if both of those guys uh do what they did last or I should say what they've both done this year because Kelly did get blown up before he went on the DL do they then start looking outside the organization to fill that last spot because I think those those first four I think we'd we'd both agree right barring health those those spots are locked up
1: Yeah I I know Stephen Wright is probably on a shorter leash than we would maybe like to admit um, because he's pitched so well, but, you know, he's a knuckleballer. He could easily come out there and get blown up the next couple times. And, uh, you know, then all of a sudden we're sort of reevaluating where he stands on the roster. Um, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, ideally speaking, uh, you know, considering what, what we've seen so far this year, you know, you'd have, price and you know maybe a resurgent buckholz or at least a and you know an hopefully a major league average pitcher um you know porcello is who's uh you know, ground ball rate is back and and his k's are up too and he looks fantastic you know stephen wright probably not this good but you know hope, you know still a major league pitcher his his peripherals look look pretty good even if he's uh, probably out pitching them a little bit and david price if i obviously if i didn't say him um but you know the, with i think the great um thing about the red Sox offense is that it allows them to kind of screw around with the rotation a little bit and get and get it right you know for the end of the year um
0: they're certainly not scared to throw any of these guys out there because they know that regardless of what they do they've shown uh, how many times now i mean at least 12 of these games that they've been they, they that they've had subpar pitching performances and they've climbed back into the game offensively
1: yeah absolutely um i mean you it's insane, but you can go out there and give up five runs in three innings uh, and the Red Sox can still win the game. Uh, so, I yeah, I, I don't think there's any any rush to, or should be any rush to, uh, you know, to go out and make a deal or to force something that's not there, uh, either on the roster or outside. Um, you know, just try to get what you can out of the guys you got. Um, and, I mean, a lot of times... Uh, you know, situations like this, you know, tend to fix themselves. Um, you know, maybe Owens will rediscover some of his command. Maybe, um, Brian Johnson will get healthy. You know, Rodriguez will get healthy. Buckholz will get hurt. Um, I mean, there, all these sort of things, you know, tend to happen and, um, it, it, it makes things a little, e- you know, a little easier to, uh, to handle in the moment as opposed to trying to look down the line and, and, you know, you see eight or nine guys for two spots and maybe three spots, and it's it's sort of hard to figure out where everybody fits in. But, um, you know, I,
0: I, I think I you nailed think it.
1: Right. out. Sorry.
0: Yeah, I think you nailed it right there with with the the fact that the Red Sox are going to allow this to sort itself out, and it's the most likely scenario. And I think that a lot of these guys that we've mentioned that are possibilities for the back end of their rotation, that they're all coming back in a, a bit of a staggered fashion is going to really help the Red Sox have that ability to step back and assess each and every one of these guys um, over a number of starts. I mean, Kelly's going to be the first guy to come up. We're going to see what Kelly's capable of, whether or not there's been any real change. Um, You know, We'll probably get two or three starts out of Joe Kelly before Eduardo's ready to come back. We'll see more of Buckholz in this time period. We'll get more minor league starts from some of these other guys that you mentioned. And I think that if there's still a problem come the all-star break, we'll know exactly what the problem is. We'll, ha- we'll have had another month and a half to two months to diagnose the problem and see really where the Red Sox need to to make a change if there is one needed from an external standpoint. But I think we're going to see a lot more of all of these players before anything real happens because that offense in the early season success has afforded Red Sox uh, ownership time.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's absolutely right. And um I, I I would add that I don't think there is a pitcher that the Red Sox can go out and get um that is going to be better than than Clay Buckholtz when he's good. So I think the Reds you know, the, the best course of action for the Red Sox and Buckholtz is for the Red Sox to try to get Buckholtz back to being, you know, what what he is when he's on. Um you know, I mean he's he's a three or two fifty ERA guy who gets strikeouts and a ton of ground balls and um if they can get that guy back on the mound um that's a really you know with, with Porcello you know with Wright you know with Price that's a really strong rotation and with that offense man that's that's a they could bludgeon some teams um and i so i i think they have the they have the time and um you know afforded by the offense and the rest of the rotation to to try to get Buckholz right and hopefully uh you know have him there when the team um you know, needs him at the end of the season and in the playoffs. Um, I mean, he has the added advantage of already being on the roster, so they don't Mm -hmm. actually have to go out and trade Devers for him or or what other terrifying move that (laughs) (laughs) Dombrowski would, uh, you know, would would do. Um, So anyway, uh, that's probably enough of me rambling about Clay Buchholz.
0: Yeah, I I think we've – We've covered off on that pretty pretty thoroughly, and uh, bottom line too is
1: thoroughly. I'm sorry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I think bottom line is 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 time. Time is what we need here, and we need to see some more of these guys, and hopefully it sorts itself out. But I wanted to move to another subject here tonight before we get to some minor league guys and talk about the pitching matchups uh, for this upcoming week. Um, the Red Sox have had a lot of players playing tremendously well this year, and I wanted to know. <clears throat> If off the top of your head, you could tell me who has the best war on the Red Sox amongst position players this year.
1: Amongst position players? Yeah. Well, I would guess it would either be – it's probably Bogarts, right? Because – It is. I think he's got a crazy high BABIP and I think that's probably – so is that plus the defense. It is.
0: Yep, it's Andrew Bogarts. Right now, he's got a 2.3 war on the season so far. Uh, coming in behind him, David Ortiz with a 1.7 war. Uh, Travis Shaw right there with a 1.7 as well.
1: Shaw uh, and Bradley were the other two guys I was I was considering.
0: You know, Bradley, um, Bradley's at 1.3 right now. He's tied with Dustin Pedroia. Uh, Mookie Betts uh, just a little under one right now in terms of his wins above replacement. But... The guy I really want to talk about is Xander Bogarts, who so far um, has just been having a superlative season. Um, I'm wondering, out of all the players on the team right now, who you think the best player is on the Red Red Sox roster?
1: Um,
0: Like, just everything aside, if you had to pick one of these guys to kind of roll with going forward, if you were starting a team, who would you take out out of these guys?
1: I might pick Mookie to be honest with you. I know that's the wrong answer. <laughs> that's not what you're going for. <laughs>
0: no, no, that's fine. That's 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 totally fine. I think I think that a lot of people would pick Mookie. Mookie's a guy who was receiving a lot of preseason MVP vote consideration. But I think the the interesting thing about Xander Bogarts is that all the strides that we've seen from him over the last few years have just been him answering question after question after question about his ability. Can he hit anything but a fastball? He adjusted to that. Now he hits off-speed stuff. Um, He was pulling too much early on, trying to sell out for power. He hit those 12 home runs in 2014. He stopped doing that, sprayed the ball all over the field, batted 320 last year. What he's done this year, he's come into uh, this season – Um, with elite defense again, which is something that nobody expected him to be able to do. His walk rate has risen up to 7.6%, which is approaching what he was able to do in the minor leagues. That's important for him. Uh, He's striking out slightly more, but he's also brought his ISO all the way up to 166 um, which is huge for him. He's already got four home runs on the season. He's given up none of his contact ability. He's batting 338. And you mentioned the enhanced Babip there with 389 Babip. He was able to have a 372 last year, so he's clearly a high Babip guy with his base running ability, his ability to make contact. Um, I don't think 389 is sustainable. But all of a sudden, what we have here with uh, Xander Bogart's in his 14 doubles already on the season is a guy whose ability to hit for power and average are coming into focus here along with defense and elite base running. So there just really doesn't seem to be a whole lot of flaws in this package right now.
1: No. And, and he's, uh, he's been impressive. Uh, I think there's a couple things that have been impressive about him. One, one is um, the way his defense has come around. I mean, at least, you know, coming up through the minors, he was a he was a he was a hitting guy mostly. I mean, he was a power guy, really.
0: Right, um, yeah, seventy grade power. Yeah, say.
1: yeah, exactly. Um, and so he was a guy that people thought was going to come up, and and you know, it, it, there was a lot of question about whether he was even going to stay at shortstop in the minors. Um, a lot of people thought that he was going to have to move to third base, move to first base, move to left field. Um, you know, the bat would play. That that was the idea, but you know. A lot of people didn't think he could stay it short, and he's not only stayed there, but he's excelled there. I you use the word elite defense, I would push back against that a little bit. Um, I don't think he's an elite defender, but I think he's you know he's an average major league shortstop, maybe a little bit above average even, uh, and and that is incredible. I mean, the fact that we're we're there is is really uh, amazing and and a testament to you know. I mean, almost a complete workover of, of, of what he was when he was in the minors. Um, so there's that. And then there is something you know. You mentioned about how he uh, you know, was hitting the ball the other way. He got a little too pull-happy uh, in 2014, his first full season in the bigs. I mean, he he was really struggling, really struggling with sliders and pitches on the outside and just flailing and trying to pull everything. And, and then last year, he was just... You know, hitting everything the other way, almost to he, he would get pitches over the middle and he would slap them into right field. And I got to the point where I was like, well, I guess he's never going to really turn on these. I mean, that's a pitch you should turn on and hit off the wall if you're a right-handed hitter. Um, and he was, you know, dumping it into into right field. And and there's, you know, that's a perfectly acceptable approach, um, you know, and and a productive one. And if that's the player that he was going to be, then that is fine and awesome, especially for a shortstop. Um, but that's not the guy who I was hoping he would be. I was hoping he would be, you know, he would turn on that pitch and, you know, hit it into the monster or over the monster. Uh, and it looks like that is maybe happening a little bit. Um, you know, the ISO is up a lot. Um, he's pulling the ball more this this season than he did last year. He's still able to hit the ball the other way. Um, he's not getting cheated on pitches outside you know on, on the outside corner um he's not getting beat there i mean uh and you know the the hard contact is is up um at, there's really nothing that he's doing that's um not impressive i mean you know i I don't know if if the the BABIP is sustainable, but it almost doesn't matter um you know the whole package is just so good the the lock rate is up the power's up. You know, he's hitting the ball all over the field. That's, that's also probably part of why the Babbitt is so high. I mean, he's not, you know, Mark Teixeira has a, you know, criminally low Babbitt because he basically hits the ball to one third of the baseball field. Um, so it's, he's incredibly easy to defend, but Bogarts hits the ball from foul line to foul line. There's, there's no way you can really, um, defend him other than sort of a traditional alignment and that there, there's a lot of space out there. Um, so you don't even have to barrel the ball up every single time. Um, you know, to get a double, you can just, you know, just hit it where they ain't. And that, that works. Um, you hit it, you know, sort of medium hard, that'll, that'll do the trick. And I think that's, uh, you know, Bogarts is definitely making use of that. Um, yeah. I've been, I've been very impressed with, with what I've seen from him this year.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you you nailed a lot of the points as to why Bogarts has just been so superlative. And I was looking at some of his, other defensive metrics this uh, year while we were talking, and um, he's currently ranked fourth in terms of uh, overall defensive metrics by Fangraphs right now this year amongst qualified shortstops behind some real defensive whiz kids out there, you know, the Andrelton Simmonses and the the, the Brandon Crawfords and guys like that. So he's in that company, and then he's also uh, currently ranked Uh, fourth in all of baseball, or fifth, I should say, in war, uh, behind Jose Altuve, Manny Machado, Dexter Fowler, and Mike Trout. So uh, keeping elite company there. I'm curious, um, after all these things that we've seen from him and we've seen him adjust to fastballs, we've seen him adjust to not being able to hit sliders, we've seen him adjust to pulling too much, we've seen him adjust to uh, being able to play elite defense, and he does play at the shortstop position. Why do you still prefer the right fielder in Mookie Betts if you were starting a team?
1: Well, I think if you're starting a team, Betts plays center field, um, so there's a little bit of increased value there. Um, I I think I think when it comes down to it, Betts is just better at putting the barrel on the ball. Uh, he's faster, um, and so I think his defense is probably uh, true talent a little bit a little bit better. Um, so I think it's, I think it's those two things. It, it, it wouldn't shock me if, you know, if Betts hit 30 homers at some point. Um, and you know, as, as good as Bogarts is that I do not I, I w I don't, I don't see him hitting, you know, <laughs> <Who knows? laughs> I'm asking he you, you to take choose a between
0: two yeah. of the, uh, the most beloved players in, in baseball right now, but it is a legit debate and it's not one that I think we really thought we'd be having this year. Um, even... Well,
1: the, just the fact that it's such a hard choice, too, is, is, you know, accredited, well, both players, but also to the Red Sox. I mean, I think, uh, when was the last time the Red Sox had two amazing 23-year-olds on the same team? I mean... Yeah, I'm, I'm the, trying the, to think. Tony, Tony clinton or something? I mean, it's it's been a long time since they were able to bring up, a, you know, a, a talented duo like this. and um, So, yeah, I... I would take bets, but I'm open to the Bogarts argument, and I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a wrong choice, you know.
0: Yeah, for me, I mean, I've always been a, a huge proponent of of Bogarts and uh, followed him since, you know, the low minors, like a lot of Red Sox fans have, and I just love the fact that he's been able to. Just stabilize a position in shortstop that is so hard to find offense at uh, in the league tr- traditionally, and right now we're in a bit of a, a boon for for shortstop talent a- along uh, across the entire league. Um, so I guess that's not as true as it used to be, but the talent there is just it's it's so impressive, and the fact that I only think he's going to continue to grow in his power levels and his ability to hunt for some of these pitches. Uh, makes me really excited about where the future's headed for, for Bogart. So I wanted to ask you here, um, you know, how, how would you rank Bogart's overall in the league in terms of shortstops right now? If you were drafting, you know, a shortstop for the future of your team, where would he rank? Would he still be behind guys like Carlos Correa or has he closed that gap enough this year?
1: Uh, that's a toughie. I mean, do you consider Manny Machado a shortstop?
0: Uh, I would still consider him a a third baseman, because I think that once the team's healthy, that's where he's going to play. I know he qualifies there right now, but I'm not sure the Orioles ever really move him off the position full-time.
1: Yeah, I I, I don't think you can go wrong with Bogarts. Uh, You know, Correa is an incredible talent. Um, You know, Francisco Lindor is an incredible talent. Uh, I think, you know, Manny, Manny Machado, if he's... Healthy and playing shortstop, uh, he's probably the guy you pick. Um, his power is, you know, well above any of these other guys. Um, you know, Corey Seager is, is a really talented player. Addison Russell. My gosh, there's, there's a ton of, I'm just realizing how many great young shortstops there are. Um, so, it, you know, there's a lot of guys you could pick, uh, over Xander Bogarts, but, um, but I don't think picking Xander Bogarts is, is the wrong choice. Um, and, you know, the way that we've, Seeing him develop uh, as a player gives me a lot of confidence that he's going to be able to improve, um, you know, as he gets older. I mean, he's what twenty three years old. Um, you know, he's a he's he's at an age now where there are still guys who are getting, you know, their first taste of the minor leagues, getting drafted out of college, and, um, and he's you know on his what third or fourth season with the Red Sox, really. So. Um, 13, 14, 15, season. yeah, fourth partial season anyway. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't think you can go wrong with, with Bogarts.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. Um, it's, it's a tough conversation. I think I'd probably still lean towards Carlos Correa, a little bit of a younger guy, better walk rate, a little bit more power there. Um, I think the defense is... Pretty good with Correa as well. It hasn't been as good so far this year as what Bogarts has been able to do. Um, it would be a tough decision for me, but I think I probably still give the overall talent package the nod to uh, Correa. But the fact that we're even talking about Bogarts uh, in that in that breath is is impressive in its own right. So um, I, I think he's a legit MVP candidate this year when I look at what he's been able to do this far. Um, I think that you you can look at AL MVP candidates, and it's got to be Machado, it's got to be Bogarts, um, probably Josh Donaldson, Mike Trout. Am I leaving anybody out here?
1: Well, I mean, if you're just talking about what guys have done so far, uh, Jose Altuve has been insane. Yeah,
0: that's right. I can't forget him. He's been unbelievable so far.
1: I, I don't know what the deal with that is, but, uh, but there it is. Um, yeah, but other than that, yeah.
0: Um, Nolan Arenado, I guess, but he's not in the AL. He's just he, him and Bryce Harper are going to be battling that out all year.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's it's an amazing crop of young young players. Um, I mean, all, all these guys we're talking about are really young. Uh, so,
0: so um, we've talked about how good the big league club is, and you know about Xander Bogarts and his potential MVP candidacy here in the early going. What I wanted to talk about is the minor leagues a little bit, and we had a huge promotion this week with uh, Andrew Benintendi finally getting a much-deserved promotion uh, all the way from uh, Salem up to AA Portland, where I think we, we all thought he belonged uh, over the last few weeks, where he's just been you know, just mashing the ball since the season started. Um, it's going to be a big boost for that team Who stinks right now There's not a lot of star power up in Portland And I know that our colleague Matt Collins Who's going to be moving up there eventually uh, Is looking forward to seeing him up up that way So I uh, wanted to get your thoughts on him And whether or not you thought that Or you think that Moncada is going to be joining him shortly And if either of those two guys uh, You think will be with the big club uh, Towards the end of the season
1: Ben Fendi is exciting. Um, you know, There's the fact that he's a college guy. He's sort of taken off in the minor leagues. And, um, you know, I mean, the, the Red Sox really could fast track him. Uh, it's not hard to see, um, you know, him ending up in Boston maybe as a left fielder and sort of a – I mean, this is the – you know, you probably heard this a thousand times, but the Michael Conforto uh, comparison where, uh, you know, Conforto came up last year with the Mets and um, – you know, sort of helped, uh, helped them at a time when their offense was really struggling. Um, clearly, the Red Sox don't have that kind of problem, at least right now. But, uh, you know, but, but um, I don't think anybody thinks Brock is the long term answer in left field. So, um, you know, there's definitely a, a, a place open uh, should Benintendi, uh, you know, assert himself at the upper minors. Um, and, you know, the Red Sox have in the past moved guys up from double A and, you um, so, uh you know Dombrowski has also, so
0: I think that uh with bentendi, you're right that that's certainly uh the future for him it seems to be in left field. Uh, I don't know if the Red sox will uh, will bring him up this season, but it does seem likely that he eventually replaces Holt out there um and Holt goes back to that super utility spot where he is so valuable. Uh, really could be one of the best outfields in all of baseball. It's already a pretty darn good outfield as it is right now, but adding that bat would just be super impressive, and it's hard not to look at the numbers that Ben Intendis put up and think of uh, Mookie Betts and what he was able to do in the minor leagues with um, walk rates being significantly higher than his K rate right now. Um, just before getting moved up to AA, uh, he had a 9.7% walk rate and a 5.8% K rate with a 222 ISO uh, at high A. So uh, if that's not dominating, I don't know what is.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's he he had a, a, a pretty good run in in, uh, in high A for sure. Double uh, A is going to be definitely more of a challenge. So um, you know we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Uh, I know uh, his first game was tonight and he went over four, um, but. One thing that's sort of intriguing is, you know, he doesn't have to hit, you know, 300, 400, 500 to, to be an effective, productive player with the Red Sox. Certainly not this year anyway, you know, given, given what the other guy, you know, other guys on the team are doing, given what, uh, you know, Brock Holt is doing, um, the guy he would presumably be replacing. Um, and then you factor in the fact that he's a center fielder. And I mean, the Red Sox would legitimately have three center fielders in their outfield.
0: Doesn't get much better than that, especially with a few of these guys having some pretty, uh, pretty incredible arms too. I mean, Andrew Benintendi's arm would be very plus in left field, I would assume.
1: Yeah, I mean, from what I hear, he has sort of an average arm, but in, in left field, that that'll work just fine. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I remember Ellsbury playing left field. You when, uh, know, when he just came up, and you know, he's got a famously weak arm, and it 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 was, you know, I mean. <laughs> almost anybody can, can throw a guy out at third or, or get the ball, you know, to the cutoff man from left field in, in Boston. So um no, no big deal one way or the other, I think, but um you know, but at least, at least as, uh, as far as, you know, overall, uh, you know, ground and range that, that the, that the outfield would, would possess would be, pr- it'd be pretty impressive and certainly, um you know, pretty helpful down the, down the stretch and, and um, you know, in, into the playoffs.
0: And another lefty bat too, which always is nice because those play so well in Fenway Park. So um, that it's it's only a good thing, and I'm just so happy that the Red Sox did pull the trigger on this guy um, in that in that draft over there in 2015. So um, before, it's we- nice
1: nice that they were able to get somebody you know useful at the top of the draft um, after the whole Trey Ball thing, and um, yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah, that was about as bad an infuriating pick as I could have thought they could have made at that point. So um, that was the Charrington pick as well, wasn't it?
1: It was. Although if you go back and look at that, um, look at that draft, uh, it's pretty awful.
0: Just a notoriously weak draft.
1: I don't think there was a whole lot that they could. I mean, I'm looking it up right now in the first round. Um, I mean, they they obviously didn't have a shot at Chris Bryant. Um, right. who went second overall to the Cubs or, or John Gray, who went to the Rockies. Um,
0: Gray hasn't been much though.
1: Well, he's in the major leagues,
0: right.
1: uh, which, which beats pretty much everybody else who's in the top 18 guys. Um, you know, Mark Pell has already been traded uh, the number one overall guy. Um, you know, I remember the Red Sox being connected to Colin Moran and Austin Meadows. Neither of those guys has done anything so far uh, any more than Trey Ball has really. Um, so it's uh I guess I guess I guess the one guy that you maybe would like them to get is J.P. Crawford. Um, who's,
0: yeah, he's he's okay.
1: But yeah, burning it up with the Phillies uh, in, in the minors there. Um, I, I foolishly left him out, but but in in any case, um, I think uh, there's a lot more uh, potholes in that draft than than maybe we thought at the time.
0: Well, how about Moncada? Quick hit on him. Do you yeah. think he gets moved up to Double A within the month, or do you think he stays down a little bit more? I mean, his numbers have been almost as good.
1: Yeah, um, the the one piece of information I don't have in front of me is one that I wish I did, which is um, I don't know who's playing second base for uh, the Sea Dogs. Um,
0: I think it's Wendell Rijo,
1: isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, you don't necessarily uh, worry too much about that kind of thing when you're talking about a prospect like Lancada, but um, you know, given the the fact that he's still you know really young and his defense is still. Um how shall I say this politely? It has a ways to go. Um uh, it wouldn't shock me if they left him in high A for a way, you know, a while longer. Um and uh you know worked on his worked on his defense. I I don't think there's a whole lot for him more for him to do, excuse me, offensively. But uh, you know, his overall game probably needs to get sharpened up. Um and and I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think they're necessarily thinking that he's going to be on the the Benintendi, Conforto, major league path this year anyway. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe he gets moved up to, you know, if he keeps hitting like this, uh, maybe he gets moved up to Double A, you know, in a month or two, and uh, finishes the season there, and then starts the season there again next year. Right. Um, and he's on, you know, on the on a path to, you know, like a September call-up if if things go well um, at the end of next season. Um,
0: I agree. That's a much more likely scenario for him, especially considering team need.
1: Well, that's the other thing is that they just don't need him right now. Uh, I mean, he's not displacing Dustin Pedroia. Um, He doesn't know how to play left field right now. So unless they're going to move him to left field, but why would you do that? You've already got Benintendi who's now ahead of him. Right. Uh, So – Uh, I mean, I don't think his ultimate position is shortstop. Uh, He's a really big guy, and I mean, I'm sorry, second base.
0: Uh, I think he's a third baseman. uh,
1: It's it's possible third base, first base, corner corner outfield, Um, but it's kind of uh, it's kind of an embarrassment of riches for the for the Red Sox right now, given uh, you know, given Travis the way Travis Shaw has played, given the way that Henry Ramirez has hit and played first base, and um, you know, now Ben Atendi is, is you know up in double A and um you know Jackie Bradley is just got what um major league player of the week or the month? I forget. I mean he's it doesn't matter, he's crushing the ball. Um, you know, Mookie Betts is is playing really well, even though it seems like he hasn't come close to hitting his stride yet. So I, I don't really know where you would necessarily put a guy like that right now. Um it's yeah. I it's, okay, go, uh, go ahead, sorry. I was just going to say it, it, you know, it, it, probably, uh, Red Sox can probably just ride him out at second for a while. And, um, you know, it's probably one of those things like the rotation that it's just going to play itself out at a certain point. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe the Red Sox are in position to make a, a really big trade. Um, I wrote about what it would actually take to get Mike Trout. Um, <laughs> at, uh, yeah, I know it's funny, uh, <laughs> at VP Boston last Friday. So, um, people can check that out. But the, uh, You know, you would you'd be looking easily at, at, uh, you know, losing a guy like uh, like that, in a in a trade like that. So um, but, you know, having a having a I think he's what the third or fourth prospect in in baseball, according to MLB Um, dot com like that, it gives you it gives you options, I guess, is the point. And, um, you know, Dombrowski is a guy who I think is is pretty good at at, uh, making making use of, of, of options like that.
0: You'd certainly be able to get something real nice for him.
1: I would imagine. Nice coat, maybe some slacks.
0: Yeah, expensive ones. Yeah. So uh, before we head off, because we're running a little bit long on this show, I want to just go through the pitching matchups that the Red Sox have over the next week where they're at KC. Unfortunately, that got rained out tonight on Monday as we're recording this. You're listening to it on Tuesday. Um, and then they uh, have Cleveland at home. So I wanted to... Give you these pitching matchups. Tell me whether it's advantage Boston or advantage uh, KC or Cleveland. So first one here: Rick Porcello versus Ventura.
1: Um, I will go. Uh, I'll go Porcello, especially considering the offenses that the two teams are facing.
0: I agree. I, I think you go Porcello there. Uh, what about Ian Kennedy versus Stephen Wright?
1: I I don't know. That's I'm still, I still am I'm sort of waiting for Stephen Wright to just explode in a mm. uh, in a ball of uh, flames, um, so I I don't know. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's more of a push.
0: That that is very very close to a push for me as well. Too, I think uh, Kennedy has been pitching well this year with the three two five ERA, but he's also still giving up a lot of those home runs that you did give up last year, and I think that this Red Sox offense could eat him alive. So I'm going to give. The slight edge to Stephen Wright there. Uh, what about the next matchup, David Price versus presumably Edison Volquez or Dylan G? Uh, this hasn't been decided yet for some reason or another. But um, <laughs> versus either of those guys, it has to be advantage Price, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, I don't think it makes much of a difference. Um, I, you got to be excited about the way Price pitched, and um, it'll um, be a big
0: test against those guys.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um and you know, if anything starts to go bad, I'm sure Dustin Pedroia will just take a quick look at some video and get everything uh get everything back the way it needs to be.
0: Yeah, jack of all trades there. Pitching yeah, coach exactly. as well. So um then they open up against Cleveland. Um they've got Clay Buchholz versus Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer's been pitching a lot better this year though. Three eighty nine ERA. What do you think about him?
1: I don't know, that could be uh that could be another slugfest. I the other thing is uh Buck Holtz obviously had a a real rough start in his last, uh, you know, the the beginning of his last start was was bad, but he managed to really pull it together. I think he, he got like 12 out of of the last 14 hitters, um, out. Um, so I'm still, I'm still optimistic about, about Buck Holtz. I think, I think there's certainly more there than he's given so far. And, um, I think if that hasn't come through in this podcast, (laughs) so (laughs) I probably don't need to reiterate it. Are you
0: willing to go as far as to say that Buckholz has the advantage over Trevor Bauer because no, Buckholz is at home?
1: I'm gonna I'm gonna go further. I'm gonna say Buckholz throws a perfect game.
0: All right. Well, you've 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 heard something insane here tonight. So I'm glad <laughs> we got that out of the way. Um, Joe Kelly versus Danny Salazar. Salazar's an interesting guy. So Salazar is ca- carrying a 1.90 ERA. But he's also walking the house. I mean, he's walking nearly five guys per nine. Which, well, that's
1: half of what Joe Kelly is walking.
0: Right. But doesn't that scare you a little bit if you're a Cleveland Indians fan? Like when you look at what the Red Sox offense has been capable of, don't you think that if anybody can get to Danny Salazar, it's these guys? Not to say that the, this is obviously a huge advantage, Cleveland. We're not going to argue that. But no. if anybody can get to him, it's the Sox, right?
1: Uh, yeah, you'd probably think so. I mean, the way that they're hitting, I, I don't know. I, I'm curious to see how long they can do this for, you know, I mean, they had that one amazing, you know, series against the A's and, um, but even outside of that, they're, they're still scoring six runs, you know, or, or more a game. Um, yeah. Can they continue to hit like this up and down the lineup? I don't know. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, if anybody, you know, if they're if they're hitting like they've been hitting the last week and a half or so, yeah, Salazar is, is toast.
0: <laughs> all right, last matchup: Rick Porcello versus Cody Anderson. This is a pretty much a, a no brainer with Cody Anderson and his seven point three one ERA.
1: I don't think the Red Sox have lost a Porcello start all year, have they? They have not. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna say also, since I'm I'm making crazy predictions, that the Red Sox win 30 of Porcello starts.
0: Okay. Well, yeah. you you've definitely heard a couple new things here tonight yeah. Yeah. Uh, from Matt. So, uh, Matt's feeling bold. Um are you going you going to play the lottery tomorrow too?
1: No, 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 no. We, we, I just I just spent it all on those two things. I got nothing left.
0: Okay. Well, that's fair. Um so anyhow, do you expect the Red Sox to take four out of six of these next games? Is that fair?
1: I think any yeah, I don't know. 4 or 6 or or 3 Something like that. You you never know. Uh, It's baseball, man. I I don't know uh, on an individual basis (laughs) which way things are going to go, but um, you know they've been so hot at the plate. You got to think that they're going to score a lot of runs. And um, so, yeah, four wouldn't be crazy. Five wouldn't be crazy either. Six wouldn't even be crazy. I'm going to go with six. You know I'm what? Good. You're
0: going to say some crazy stuff. I'm going crazy in the show That's too. That's
1: good. Yeah, I, I'm, I, I promote, I'm promoting the crazy stuff. Let's go with six. Let's we'll, 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 co, we'll co, co-author the crazy there.
0: All right, here it is. Six out of six. Well, Matt, uh, appreciate you joining me tonight. Um, as always, you've been a great, great guest on the show. Uh, once again, Matt, where can they find you on Twitter if they want to check in with you?
1: Uh, at MattyMatty2000. M-A-T-T-Y-M-A-T-T-Y-2-0-0-0.
0: alright Definitely check them out there. You can find me at at Dev Jake. And uh, also check out the show. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of ways you can find us, but uh, the most convenient are undoubtedly uh, on Blog Talk Radio, where we actually post this, uh, on iTunes, where you can download us, subscribe to us, rate and review us. And then we're also on Stitcher. So we have had some people review us already. Um, positive things so thank you very much Uh, as always if you have any suggestions for the show please uh, feel free to email us uh, at the red seat at baseballperspectus.com too Um, and um, yeah we'll be with you next week as usual and matt
1: thanks a lot thanks for having me jake